Uh, well, tonight, if you have your Bibles, if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and we're going to read uh, one down to verse number 15, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. The Bible tells us here in verse number one, for as touching the ministering to the saints, uh, it is needless, in an old English word, superfluous, for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness or readiness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, those Macedonian churches we've been talking about, and that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked or encouraged very many. Uh, because they were going to be uh, giving that offering to the suffering saints there in Jerusalem. Verse 3, Yet have I sent the brethren, uh, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that is, I said ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, uh, and he's saying that you would be, and that included in that also, would be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Wherefore, ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty or generosity and not of covetousness, or you wouldn't be giving out of a grudging obligation is the idea there. Verse 6, if you read verse 6 with me. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He goes on to say, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity or under compulsion, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, uh, talking about God, uh, ministereth uh, both bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God for the administration of this service. Uh, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, while by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Father, again, we thank you for your word. May it accomplish your desire in our hearts May we reflect the spirit of the Macedonian church that you would be glorified in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people again said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Well, tonight we're going to be concluding a message in regards to Paul's teaching on giving. And he deals with this for two chapters in chapter 8 through chapter 9. The only direct quote from Christ's earthly ministry that is not recorded in the Gospels is Acts 20, verse 35. This is the only direct quote from Christ's earthly ministry not recorded in the Gospels. And it says in Acts 20, 35, I have showed you all things how that in laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
That statement is not recorded in the Gospels, but Jesus obviously said that at some point while he was on earth, and it was passed down verbally and recorded later in the book of Acts. And as I've said, the most transformational step in a person's life is when they go from being a consumer mentality to being a contributor. When they look at life, not it was what they can get out of life, but really what they can give out of life. It's not about accumulating, it's about giving. The consumer mentality uh, starts within us, and it is also encouraged from without. We live in a society that feeds covetousness. It, 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 it pours those feeds into our phones. It listens to our conversations and lets us know what, where we can find our products at. Society constantly feeds our desire for self-focused wants and needs. And then we come to Jesus and he presents to us the absolutely revolutionizing teaching uh, that Jesus teaches that it's not about promoting ourself, but denying ourself. Life is not about receiving, but giving. It's not about gaining. It's about losing. It's not about seeing how much we can get, but how much we can give. And as I've said in the weeks past, Jesus's economy is defined by addition, by subtraction. He taught our death brings life, gain you must give, and receive you must lose. And and he said it this way in Matthew 10, 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And these truths, listen, are paradoxical, but they're the most transformational thing that will happen in a person's life. When, when you take a family who gets a hold of this, it will revolutionize the heart of the home. When people don't look at the family as what they can do for them, but, what they, but instead what they can do for their family, instead of placing expectations on others, they put the expectations on themselves. Think about the last time you were offended at somebody. Was it not because you placed the expectation outside of you on somebody else instead of placing the expectation on yourself? That victim mentality is what we are all prone to do. And this is a revolutionizing teaching. Not only does it dynamically change the structure inside of a home, but also inside of a church. When people don't come to church to see what they can get from the church, but what they can give to the church, what they can serve in the church, and they see a church as a place where they can pour out their life and bless other people. You will have ministries that overflow with workers. You don't have all these ministries struggling because you have enough people to fill them. And so, uh, listen, if you're part of the church, ask yourself, do you have a consumer mentality here or do you have a contributor mentality? We're born as consumers and we're born again to be contributors. Can you say amen? That is what we are called to do. We are not shopping when we come to church. We're coming to serve Christ through. And, 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 and listen, serving Christ is, is, is not something that's detached from people. You can't, people say, you know, I have my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm good with God. Well, if you're good with God, but you're not good with people, then you're not good with God. Because in Matthew 25, what did he say? He says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in all these things. And they said, when did we do it? And, and Jesus says, when you done it to the least of these, you did it to me. And, and what he's pointing out is the way we love and serve Christ is not detached from people, but is actually attached to them. So if you love Christ, you cannot 
keep yourself from loving God's people and those that he calls you to minister to. Does that make sense? So, so just understand that reality. And when this heart that Christ gives comes inside of a person, you will be revolutionized to do things that reflect the scriptures. Now, I want to look tonight at five benefits and really should be motivations to being a generous Christian. Five blessings of giving. Uh, and, and, and listen, if you're, if you're somewhat new to the church, <laughs> I don't preach on, you know, you could, you could have come here for probably a year and not heard me preach on money because I just preach whatever the text presents. So if it talks about money, guess what we're going to talk about? Money. Yeah. If it talks about repentance, guess what we're going to talk about? Yeah. And if it doesn't talk about repentance, we're still going to talk about repentance. So it's like, <laughs> amen. And so, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me, does it bother you when people get up and leave your service when they get offended? I would rather be bothered if Christ were leaving the church, Amen. right? We, we preach Christ crucified. Um, I was reminded this week when I read, read John chapter number six, everyone left him. Everyone left him. And he looked at the 12 after the 10,000 left him and he says, will you go away also? And you know what they said? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And um, Jesus says, Did I not say all that the Father hath given to me shall come to me? When God has given you to Christ, you will come to him. You are drawn to him, right? He draws you. Why are you here? Because he's drawn you. Now, you're responsible to respond to him, but he draws you. Thank God for that inward drawing, amen? And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. But, but when people reject that, they're responsible for the rejection, but we're also responsible to respond to that. And so uh, we just lift up Christ, amen? And um, so first of all, uh, generosity is contagious. Generosity is, anybody ever been around a generous person? You know, you've been around those people. I, I remember as a teenager, you know, you're just kind of a, I don't know, I, I, I worked really hard on my grandfather's farm growing up, and, and back then I would make $3 a, an hour, and uh, you'd, I'd work all day cleaning out pig pens. I mean, dirty, nasty, sweaty, hard work, and I'd, I'd walk away with like 24 bucks, and uh, I, I was like, man, you know, back then you could buy a lot of candy for 24 bucks. It's like $5, 5 cents and 10 cents. You know what I'm saying? Like lemon heads, you'd be like, man, I stacked these bad boys up. Gobstoppers, you know, nerds, it was just all day long. I can't even imagine eating that stuff today. But, you know, my body would just be like, what are you doing? You're going to die, you know. But, uh, my wife wouldn't let me either, but no, I'm teasing, kind of. Uh, and then I remember um, getting plugged into some, some men's stuff at the church growing up, and um, we'd go out to breakfast. And sometimes, like, one of the men would pay for my meal, like I was a teenager. Maybe they thought I didn't really have any money, and I just had a little bit of money. Uh, but, you know, it just made such an impression. I'm like, they don't even, like, they pay for me? Like, they're not even my parent. Like, this is crazy, you know? And, uh, and I remember that, that inspired me to do that to other people. You know, and then, then it became like a contest. Whoever could get to the front of the line would like pay for the person behind them. And it just, it just be, you know, and it, it became like this contagious thing. And so uh, what Paul says here in the first five verses is he's telling the Corinthians, basically, uh, 
the, the, he, he was really trying to motivate through the whole chapter 8, the church at Corinth, by the example of the Macedonian churches, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he begins to brag on the uh, Macedonian churches, how generous they were, and they were suffering, they were poor, and they've just given so abundantly. And he's like, man, follow the example of these Macedonian churches. Not only does he lift them up, but look at verse number 2. He says in verse 2, for I know the forwardness or the, you know, your readiness, your desire of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. Like I, I'm boasting of Macedonia to you and then I'm boasting uh, to the Macedonians about you and, and vice versa. And he says that Achaia was already a year ago and he says this, your zeal hath provoked very many. Like, like your, your passion, like, like when you heard about this offering we were going to take up for the suffering saints in Jerusalem, and you're like, man, we're going to be a part of that. We're going to give. We're going we're gonna to really pour out a blessing for these guys, these, these saints over in Jerusalem. He said, you have provoked a lot of people to give because you were so passionate about it. You ever notice what other people get passionate about you can get zealous for? It's kind of like if you walked outside, you imagine like if we, you know, there's some people walking down the street and all like, you know, a couple hundred of us walked outside and we're just looking up in the sky. If nothing was there, you know, you know, you know what would happen, right? I think we've done this as teenagers before, like out on the beach or something. We're like, you see that? And people are like, what? You know, you know, uh, or you see yell shark, which you shouldn't do, but uh, unless you're reeling one in, uh, uh, but you know, people, people would be, be affected by that and, and they, would be, uh, they, they would begin to look up and kind of do that as well. But when you begin to point your life at something, when you begin to direct your energies towards something, it encourages other people to, to, to begin to participate in that same kind of energy level. And so generous giving is contagious. Uh, it should never be competitive, but it should be edifying to other people. And it's not just financial giving. Uh, but even like this, say with the, with the 500 boxes, when you see other people picking up a box and going out, you're like, you know what, I, I could get involved in that, right? And that's a, that's a good way to be uh, uh, provoking people in a positive way. There's positive peer pressure and negative peer pressure, and the Bible talks about having positive peer pressure in life. And so Paul would also tell them, not only do they, uh, are they encouraging other people by their zeal, but he tells them, hey, you guys need to follow through with that zeal. And that's what he talks about in verse 3 through 5. He's like, yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting would be in vain on this behalf. Like, hey, don't leave me hanging, church at Corinth. And I've been telling them, like, you guys are really doing good, but, but if you don't send it, man, I'm going to be ashamed. And that's what he says in verse 4. He says, not only I'm going to be ashamed, he says, not... We say not, uh, not that, that we say not ye. It's just an old way of saying like uh, you're going to be ashamed as well. Like both of us are going to be in this thing. So make sure you send what you were planning on doing for these saints that are poor. So uh, faithfulness and surrender to the Lord encourage other people to be faithful and surrendered. And you know, I see this all the time. I have, a, I have the benefit of having a relationship with so many people uh, that, that I'm able to see this uh, from, a, from a blessed perspective. Um, when, when one family member gets excited about Christ, it has a ripple effect. We had, a fa- we had a, just, just a few weeks ago, we had, I think, uh, on one Sunday, four adults came forward to give their life to Christ. We had five or six people get saved that day through the whole services but uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and one of the young ladies who gave her life to Christ, uh, the next Sunday, we had 12 new people in foundations, which was not this Sunday, but the Sunday before. And uh, in that class, the, the daughter got saved. She's in her 20s. Her sister came, and her mother came to foundations. 
And why did they come? Because a daughter got serious with the Lord, came forward and gave her life to Christ. And you know what? It provoked them to come. And you know who walked the aisle this Sunday and surrendered her life to the Lord? Was the dear lady's mother. And so you see the ripple effect, right? And, and, and so they're, they're, when you get serious with God, other people begin to get serious with God. We had a young man get saved, a dear family I so much love, and a young man Sunday who gave his life to Christ, and it's because the parents and the family are serious with God. They got saved, and, and they began to come and get faithful to the Lord, and that ripple effect happens. And so when, you, when you're faithful to Christ, it just has a, a tremendous effect. When, when my dad got serious, and I've shared this many times, with his walk with the Lord, when our family was in a desperate situation, it resulted in us being turned around as well. You know, if, if one coal is hot, it can heat up the other coals. And, and I'm sure you've noticed that in your life as well. But on the other hand, uh, what can happen is if, if, if people are casual, if people aren't serious, if they're not passionate about the things of God, that casual spirit can also influence other people to take God lightly, right? And so I would ask you this, what is your life influencing in others? a passion for God or a casualness towards God? Are you heating those up around you or are you cooling them down? Your zeal can provoke very many. You know, generosity works the same way. If you're greedy, a hoarder, and covetous, you'll create a spirit of that around you. But if you're a generous giver, it will also provoke others as we see here in our text. Secondly, giving also, not only does it become contagious and encourages others to be the same way, but giving bountifully will allow you to reap bountifully. He says there in verse number six, and we had read that together, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, he which soweth bountifully shall also shall reap also bountifully. And, and Paul gives an analogy from the world of agriculture. Uh, those who farm understand clearly that the size of your harvest will be determined by the size of the seed sown. And uh, if you sow just a few seeds, you'll reap a little harvest. But if you want to have a good harvest, you need to plant the seed effectively. Uh, obviously, we know that uh, you need to have uh, right conditions as well. But Listen to how Scripture clearly speaks to this principle, this principle of sowing and reaping. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 5 says this, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, or more than they should, but it tends to poverty. The liberal soul, the one who's generous to other people, shall be made fat. They'll be taken care of, but he that watereth, uh, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So, so people that, that are stingy, they will lean toward being impoverished. Those who are generous, God says they will increase. Proverbs 19.17 says this, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord, unto the Lord, and that which he giveth, he will he pay him again. Uh, capitalized he is the idea is that God will pay him back. Proverbs 28, 27, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Malachi 3, 10, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there won't be room to receive it. And listen to what Jesus said. Let's read Luke 6, 38 together. 
Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all shall it be measured to you again. Again, you ever go to the store and you get those chips? It's the, it's, it's the level of deception that could only be compared to our media, right? You, 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 you get, and it's packed with air, you know? It's like, do they fill this with air intentionally? And, and so you open it up and it's like 20%. And it's like, 75% more chips? I'm like, what'd you add, four? It's ridiculous, you liars. You're deceitful. You stand before God one day for this. It's ridiculous. Liars or friars, man. Revelation 21 8. I'm going to make a chip that says that, you know? Deceitful. Just be honest. Just make the bag this big, right? You all with me? Is this like, am I just carnal? I don't know. Maybe I am. I think you're. you're, you're. But here's what Jesus says He says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. And he's like, it'll be packed down, shaken together, and then it just keeps doing that until it's so filled that it's running over. God doesn't, God, God doesn't cheat you. God never leaves you uh, with less. So just understand, this is, this is the way God's economy works. It's, it's addition by subtraction. Covetousness and greed have a strong hold on the natural man. We're born saying it's mine and fighting for our own stuff. I have seen in my life neighbors of people who become outraged when, a, when, when the neighbor mows four inches onto their property. You know, it's my property. I'm like, well, good night. Thank the Lord they mowed some of your grass. It needed it. You know, it's ridiculous. But this world uses materialism intentionally as a way to cause people to become covetousness. Marketing strategies aim toward our sin nature. This has sadly been picked up by many in the charismatic world, the word of faith movement, the name it, claim it, prosperity preachers, men like Kenneth Copeland, who had said to a crowd of 9,000 plus people at the Southwest Believers Convention, he said, quote, and this is the richest preacher probably in America, a false prophet for sure. But he says, God needs you saved. He needs you filled with the Holy Ghost. He needs you well, and he needs you strong, and he needs you rich. So God needs you rich. Well, we're going to have to scratch off some names in the Bible. Uh, John the Baptist was a pretty poor guy, right? Being rich is not sinful. Being a lover of money is Peter warned of false teachers who, he said, quote, they make merchandise of people. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6, 5 says. Of, he, and he's talking about false teachers and preachers. He says they're perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind, destitute of the truth. And he says this, supposing that gain is or equals godliness from such withdraw thyself. There are people today who believe that their wealth, and preachers, who believe their wealth evidences God's blessing upon them. Now, what it, what it can show is that you fleeced the flock while you live in your $10 million mansion, right? It's, it's, they, they suppose gain is godliness, and God says withdraw from them. Being rich doesn't equal godliness, and being rich doesn't equal ungodliness, it's, it's money is a neutral thing. Money's like a gun. You can use it for great good or great evil, right? So, so it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. 
And when people begin to promote money is, is a way of seek God so you can be rich. Like that is, you're, you're, you're selling covetousness. It's marketing Christianity, isn't it? And so that's not what we're talking about tonight. The Bible warns against being covetousness and seeking wealth. Mark 4.19, the Bible says, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. You know, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's critical to understand the warning of riches from Scripture it says, uh, do not love money. Don't make it your chief desire. The biblical pattern for gaining wealth in the world is to work hard, invest wisely, save, care, save carefully, and give bountifully. And so it's not, it's not, uh, not through quick means. So faithful giving to the work of God must be a priority for the believer, not in order to be rich, but in order to love God. So God will provide for those who are faithful to him. That's, that's the biblical principle. That's why look at verse number 8 here, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. It says this, and because, because here's the thing. When you give, right, you, you, you would financially be, be having less in a sense because you're giving, you're investing in, 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 in the work of God and the ministries of Christ and so, so what's, you know, Lord is, is, is I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be taken care of. In verse 8, he says, and God is able to make all grace. Now, the word grace, all through these two chapters, is, is, a, is a synonym for finances. Now, he says, God will make all grace or your, your provision abound toward you that ye all, look, look at the superlatives here. You know, superlatives are dangerous, aren't they? Unless you're like, you know, honey, you just look so, I love you all the time. You know, wife, I love you. You know, you're great all the time. But, uh, but superlatives are dangerous most of the time. We, we exaggerate things. Uh, but here, it's, it's dumping them on this, this truth. It says that he always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. So God, God begins to become superlative toward you in his provision. He begins to dump on you. He'll provide for you. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad. This is talking about God, he. As it is written, he, God, hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, God's the one who ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food and multiplies your seed sown and increases the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. So one of the great blessings of giving is this. Uh, just know this, God doesn't need our resources. You believe that? Is God in heaven like, man, if they, you know, if they don't give this week, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, we're really in trouble here. You know, that's, not what, that's not the reality. God doesn't need our money. We need to be faithful to give to him. It's, it's, it's us. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5. Um, anybody familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Right? Trust in the, once I start saying it, you'll know it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Those two verses have to do with trusting God, right? It's trusting God. You know what he begins to talk about immediately after that? So how do we trust God? 
He says in verse number 8, it shall be health to thy navel, marrow to thy bones. That's a Jewish expression. He'll take care of your health. When you trust him, he's going to take care of you. And then look what he says in verse 9. Here's a test of our trust. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the last portion of some of your increase. Is that what he says? Oh, that's to think about, isn't it? So the first fruits, why would we give the first? Because you give the best to the best. We give the best to the best. Is that what God did to us? You know what the Bible calls it? He said, I've given you the first fruits of my Holy Spirit. He gave us not only his son the best, but the Holy Spirit the best. He just keeps dumping the best on us. I would, never, I would never want to return a stingy offering to a generous God. Right? He is so deserving. I, I, I would never want to say, let me see by the end of the month if there's anything left that I could give to the Lord. Uh, I would rather say, uh, I'm going to give to the Lord and, and, and if I have to go without a little bit and not eat out, uh, or if I can't go to the fast food or the whatever else that I would squander money on. And those things in himself aren't wrong, but if I have to rob God to do that, then it becomes a problem. So he says, honor the Lord. And then he says this, uh, verse 10, so shall thy barns be empty and you will go without. Is that what it says? No, he says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Does that mean that God is glad to provide for us? Does he want you to be like scraping by? No. He's like, your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. So this is, this is so complementary to Luke 6.38, isn't it? Pressed down, shaking together, running over. He's not like your barns will have like, you know, they'll look full. There's only going to be like 15% in there. Right? I'm going to do like the chip deal on you. It's not how God works. So again, right after he tells us to trust him, the test of trust is, and, and look what he says, it's to honor the Lord. It's, it's saying, you know what, God, you are my provider. So do you believe God can take care of you? And if you say yes, the question is, are you acting on that? Like the story of the tightrope walker stretched a tightrope across a large canyon. And he took the pole, you know, he, they walk across that thing, these crazy people. And uh, they get across and everybody's cheering comes back, everybody cheers, and, um, and, and, and so he, he takes a wheelbarrow and goes across the tightrope. People are like, man, it's crazy, and it goes across, he comes back, and then he says, who here thinks I can put a person in it and go across? And everybody's like, you can do it. He's like, who wants to get in? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, I believe, right? It's another thing to put my life into that faith and to act on my faith. And so, so it's to say, God, I believe you can, and I'm going to trust you in a way that evidences that trust is real. Now, the main reason people don't want to give faithfully of their money to God is because they just don't trust God to provide. It's, it's a faith issue. The reason people don't faithfully give to the Lord is they don't believe he'll provide. Um, the Israelites are a perfect example. We talked about these guys just briefly last time. I just briefly want to highlight a couple thoughts as well because they're so pertinent to this. 
But in Exodus 12, after 430 years, God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea in chapter 14. They write a song of praise in verse chapter 15. By chapter 16, they're murmuring. <laughs> chapter 16, verse 4, God provides manna. It's the first test in this newly formed nation. He gave them water and food, wanted to see if they would trust him. And he, he lets them go without food and water for a time to see if they would trust him. He put them in a place where they were hungry and thirsty to see how they would respond when they were tested. Do you think God still does that? Do you think he turns the heat up enough in our life to say, let me see if they really believe me. Let me see if they really trust me. And there's two tests. Test number one, he says this, don't leave it till the morning. I'm going to give you manna in the morning and birds at night and uh, don't leave the manna till the morning. God removed all their pantries, no cupboards, no Ziploc bags. Raise your hand if you appreciate Ziploc bags. Yes, sir. Get all that air out. My wife always gets on me. I'll zip it up quick and she's like, there's air in there. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, I got like 98%. She's like, get it all out of there. You know, I'm sucking on it, trying to get it out. Ziploc bags. There's no refrigerators, nothing. You know, how well would we respond to that? We would not do well, would we? And how do their people respond? Exodus 16, 20 says, Notwithstanding, they hearkened or listened not to Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. So why did they leave it till the morning? There's two reasons. Number one, they did not trust God. They didn't trust God to keep it, uh, to, to have it the next day. They didn't believe that he was going to maybe bring it back. You know, kids would have said, Mom, Dad, we were supposed to throw that out. Listen, boy, God's put us through some days. Remember them days we didn't have any food? Remember those days we didn't have any water? And I know God said he would, but I tell you what, we need to make sure we're watching out for ourselves too. It had been real easy to keep that bread. They didn't trust him. Secondly, for obedience. They were rebellious. They disobeyed the command of God. Psalm 106.25 says this, But they murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. You know, how do we handle the trial of life? Anybody ever murmured before? You know, murmur is an uh, onomatopoeic word. It's like, it sounds like it is. It's like... What is it? What does a B sound like? We're like, you know, you can, like how do you spell that? Uh, but it's 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 just a word that sounds like what it means. And murmuring is like it's like this grumbling under your breath type of thing, and it's just this stammering of the tongue. And so, and then he says, "Don't go out on the Sabbath. Manna won't be there. Won't be there on the Sabbath. You know, you'll have enough for Saturday. I'll give you twice as much. So you want, it, it'll last for sa- Sunday." Or Friday night into Saturday. Sabbath was back then on Saturday. So uh, look what they did. Exodus 16, 27. It came to, Exodus 16, verse 27. It came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. Can you imagine? God's like, listen, I, you know, it already bred worms and stank when they kept it over. He's like, don't go out on the Sabbath. Can you imagine? The, they're, they're wondering out there in their little bowl. You know, it's, I don't see any, you see, go over the hill. Maybe it's, it's just, you know, we have enough in the house. I know, I know, but there might be some that, you know, I, I think God can provide for us. That's why 
You know, I, I, we have some people, and I'm not, I'm not going to beat up on people who work on Sundays um, because we have people that have to do that. Somebody's got to take care of those in the nursing home on Sundays. Somebody's got to patrol the streets on Sundays. We've got to have somebody taking out fires on Sundays. We've got to have somebody that's, uh, you know, enforcing laws. There's somebody, somebody said that makes breakfast on Sundays. <laughs> no, that's not the... But so, so, so listen, I understand, and we have some people that do that, and, and we appreciate your sacrifice and understand that. But what, what should not happen is where we're like, you know what, I could get double time. I think I could double up. You know, I, I know maybe I could just, maybe, maybe I'll just do it once a month. Well, once, once money takes the precedence over the things of God, it's real easy for it to go to two times a month. And three times a month. It's just, Satan doesn't say, just give it up. He wouldn't do that. He knows that doesn't work. He would just say, hey, hey, maybe I, could, maybe I can tempt him a little bit with this. Because I know Jesus said, this is the chief competitor with God. And maybe I could just cast a little more of this in front of him. So, so just ask yourself, like, like, what are you going to do in those situations? And, and I would say, don't be like the Israelites. Keep God first sacrifice. Uh, trust God to take care of you. He'll do that. He'll do that. Uh, so why God sent the test? He wanted to teach them. He was their provider. You know, when Jesus was asked, how do we pray? He says, pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. And so what does your giving say about your trust in God? Are you trusting God with your eternity and soul, but struggle to trust him with your provision? And how did Jesus respond to those who struggled to believe God for provision? Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not he much more clothe you? And, and what was the root cause, O ye of little what? And you know who he's talking to there? He's talking to people who worked that day to eat that day. They were day laborers. So if he's like, listen, you need to be able to trust God for your provision. And, and none of us have to work each day to make enough food to eat that day. None of us. I mean, we have, we have cabinets, don't we? You know, my, my grandmother came through that Great Depression era. Uh, when she passed away, she had to have 50 cans of every type of anything you could think of could be stored in her cabinets. I was like, what, what is she doing with all of this stuff? You know, but she came through a, a period of life where she knew what it meant to go without, right? And, uh, but... but but it also can show, like, one day in heaven, I'll be like, Grandma, I understand you went to the great profession, but, but, but I can tell you, man, like, you got to trust God. Like, you didn't eat 50 cans of green beans. Like, come on now. She, yeah, she'd probably hit me later about that. But. but one key to remembering giving is this. Again, our giving to God is giving the Lord what he's already given to us. You know, we're not giving to the Lord. We're really returning to him. First Chronicles 29, 14, I love what David said when the nation of Israel brought generous offerings to God. He says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. God, we just gave you back what was already yours anyway. Number three, God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is important, but also the motive of giving is important. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. He says, uh, even uh, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, 
not grudgingly. So, so when we give the word grudging there, it, it's a Greek word lupe. It means like sorrow, literally sorrow, grief, or pain. It's the idea that you should not give remorsefully, regretfully, reluctantly. Uh, you should not be pained in giving. Like, oh, why did I do that? You know, I'm really going to hurt this time. And, you know, really, really. But you know, you know what that, that, that says is like, uh, um, it's, it's a spirit that is, that is defiant to God and that loves money. Uh, it, it would just grieve me to, to consider giving that way. Uh, and, it's, and it's wrong, so make sure your heart's right. And it says, also don't give under coercion. It's a Greek word there. It says, nor of necessity. Uh, it means imposed either by an external condition of things or by the law of duty, uh, like being forced into giving, like, uh, like someone coercing you to give. Uh, so so don't, don't give because someone pressured you into it, but do it because... Don't give because of external pressure. Give because of internal motive. Because I love Christ. I get to do this. The Bible says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there actually comes from the Greek word hilaros. And we get the English word hilarious from it. It's not, it's not the best English word. It, would, it should be translated here as cheerful, obviously. Hilarious is not the, the best idea because it's changed somewhat down through the years. But, but it denotes a happy, glad, or cheerful state of mind uh, that, that you're giving, and it's, and it's a joy to do it. Like you're glad to participate, like the Macedonian believers were. Um, and so uh, we, need to, we need to give that way. Um, also, uh, it says here, God loves, loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Like God loves that we would be cheerful in giving. I like what, what MacArthur said. He says, it's hard to imagine a more precious promise than to be the personal object of God's love. You know, God loves all the world. He loves the believers in a more intense and special way. But he also is said here to love a cheerful giver. You know, so on Sundays, just know when it's, it's easier to sing than it is to give. Right? The greatest act of worship, one of the greatest acts that you can do is in giving and do it with joy. Like, God, thank you that I could express worship of you in my giving. Now, Matthew 6, 21 says this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your money is reveals where your heart is. You know, didn't that, didn't that show the case with a rich young ruler? I was sharing this with... Uh, my family last week, I was just so enamored by that story. You know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus comes to the rich young ruler, and the man says, what good thing could I do to have eternal life, and has this conversation with Christ. And through the conversation, Jesus says, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. You have the king of the universe offering you eternal rewards. Like invest here and you'll be rewarded forever. And you know what the insanity of it was? The Bible says the man went away sorrowful. Are you kidding me? Like, like Jesus is offering you a, a deal. Like Jesus says, here's my terms of investing. You invest in me, give it all to me. Be a steward of everything and an owner of nothing. Give it to me, and your treasures in heaven will be so great forever. And the, ma the man goes away sorrowful. 
when riches make you sorrowful. I need to preach that sermon sometime. When riches, when heaven's riches make you sorrowful, you have lost your mind. You have bought a lie. You have eaten of the forbidden fruit. You're holding rags in the king's offering you eternal riches. Are you insane? <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? Like, like Jesus is offering you eternal life and eternal riches, and it makes you sad? Like, what, what has gotten in your brain, sir? Like, how, how deluded must you be? Like, that, that, is, that is, again, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why for a Christian not to want to invest in the things of God, evidence, they're because you were investing somewhere, right? You only have two options to invest in, heaven or earth. And, and there's two outcomes, temporal or eternal. The reason I'm here is I've taken Jesus' terms of investing. That's why, that's why I'm here. I've accepted his terms. I'm a long-term investor. I'm a long-term investor calling short-term investors to long-term investing. That makes sense. If, if that went, hopefully that didn't go over anybody's heads. That was pretty low ball. But so many people are so caught up in their earthbound life, they can't imagine the eternal realities and glories of heaven. That's where you want to invest. Is that right? Um, number four, God is glorified in the cheerful giver. Verse 11 through 13, this is great. It says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. When you faithfully give and God faithfully provides, it will result in a worshipful life. Anybody, I'm sure you've been there, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that or even respond, but you've been where you know you're like, man, it's going to be tight, but you know, I want to I I give and be faithful to the Lord. And, and, and God's allowed us to always give uh, throughout our life at least 10%, 20 plus, whatever God would, would has grown us to do. But where you faithfully give that, and there's been times, but, but then it's like where he continually provides it, and it just makes you so worshipful because it's like you know he did that. You know he stepped in. And it allows you to worship God. And in, 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 in Lighthouse, being able to give 160-some thousand dollars already this year to missions, you know how many of those churches over there, when we, we've literally, God's allowed this church to build church buildings for people over in other countries, because it only costs like 10 grand to do it. Like you could build like a simple building that could house maybe like 100 people. Like for us, it housed like five of us, but they could get like 100 people in there. And, and we're like, yeah, so we've sent at times $10,000 here or 5000 here. We'll put the roof on. You know how happy those people are in those third world countries? They're, if, if we could be in their, in their first service in that new building, isn't it nice to not have like just bamboo sticks on the side and the rain leaking through? We got bricks on the side block and, and, and a hard roof and, and, and they're protected from the weather and, and, and they're celebrating that and, and, and they get to find out, hey, uh, church in Xenia Lighthouse, they just sent the money and we're going to be able to praise God and the rejoicing that goes on. What a joy. And, 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 and that's what he's talking about here. And so giving thanks is an act of worship. It's like Luke 17, verse 13, it says this, And they lifted up their voices, and these are ten men who were lepers, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves unto the priests, and come. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice he glorified God. 
you, you know what you find there is thankfulness literally redirected his steps. He was so thankful that he had to stop, turn around, and come back. Thankfulness is a redirecting act of life. And Jesus answering said, and, and, and it says this, and he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, and so the man had to give thanks to Jesus. I'm sure he wanted to get home to his family for the first time. I'm sure he had places to go. He was so excited. But instead he had to give thanks. And, and Jesus answering said, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? You think he's still asking that? He says, there are not found that return to give thanks to God. Is that what he says? What's Jesus equate thanks to? Glory. Giving thanks to God is to give glory to God. He says, only one return to give thanks and glory to God. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way. Look what he says, thy faith hath made thee whole. Ten were cleansed. One returned to give thanks and glorify God. You know what? The nine went away happy with their physical healing, but Jesus had more to give. When you become a giver, you become a recipient. And when he came back to give thanks and glory, he got more than what his thanks and glory was deserving of. Do you understand the process? It's better to give than to receive. You getting that? When you begin to slow down in your day and you say, you know what, I can't rush out the door and go to work without getting on my face and giving glory to God. I wonder if God would stand in front of this congregation and say, did I not cure you of leprosy? And you say, what leprosy? I wasn't have a leper. He says, oh, you were lepers, everyone in this room. And you were lepers and you were going to die and go to hell. And I cured you. And I've noticed that some of you come to give me glory in the morning and Thanksgiving, but I wonder, where are the other nine? Where are the nine of you that seem to just go on and forget me? Don't you know there's more I have to offer? But where are the nine? I thought I was worth more than that. But I know your day's long and there's a lot to do. And... But there would have been more given. Don't miss it, friends. Even in a preaching to the choir Wednesday night service, sometimes we turn into the nine. You ever been guilty? We need to slow down and say, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. <laughs> if I don't have time for him, I better tell the world I don't have time for you. <laughs> it, it, it hurts my heart. I don't get upset with people. It grieves me when somebody says, you know, I just, it's hard to find time to read and pray, and I'm just like, ah. I feel grief for God. I just like, ah. and, 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 you know, we can say that at times or we can do that. I, I, I met with somebody today who God has slowed their life down very likely. And a lot of hard things have happened in their life. Now they physically are in a condition where they can't leave and and uh, they even said to me, maybe God slowed me down enough to get my attention to begin to read and seek him. And this person's not saved, so you could pray for that individual just as an unspoken. But giving, giving allows us to uh, glorify God, giving thanks to God. 
uh, verse 11, just the last couple of things, we're going to wrap this up. He says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Uh, it's thanksgiving to God, verse number 12. Uh, for the administration of the service not only supplieth the one of the saints, not only, not only when you give does it provide for the ministry, not only does it provide for missionaries, not only does it provide to expand the kingdom, but it also, uh, by many thanksgivings unto God, it, it ripple affects the, the, the glory. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's good every way. Uh, verse 13, while by the experiment of the ministration, um, the experiment just means proof, of the ministration or your giving, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Again, their giving provoked thanksgiving. Um, I remember when this church was um, 10 months old and we raised a $32,000 offering. Um, I remember the night we had an evening service and we were like 7,000 short. We had no option. Like, we were meeting in a field for two weeks. I was like, I was like we got to raise it. I said, I'll give the next 500. Who's next? You know, I'm, I'm scraping the bowl. I mean, it was thin, baby. It was thin. I told my family, I said, we ain't going on vacation this year. You know, we, and uh, scraping down. And, um, and then the next person, the next person, within about one minute, we raised the next 7,000. We, we had 25,000 after the morning. There was only like 100 people in there. And, and then we knocked the other 7,000 out within a minute. I had to stop them from giving. They just kept going. I was like, I probably should have kept it going, you know. But the joy in that room was just off the charts. We were clapping. We were cheering. We were thrilled. People were like, let's go down and, you know, people, let's go down and tell the newspaper. I'm like, no, we'll just keep that here, you know. It just, but it was just so excited. It, it was a joy to give. You know, in every one of those pennies that would have been given back then, the thousands of dollars, and, and as that has happened countless times, we've raised all kinds of different offerings for, for the ministry of the church, for missions and all these things. It's a joy, isn't it? It's a joy. Just tonight, you know, with 500 boxes, and we, we just burst forth, praise God that we can do that. And then last thing we'll be done is, number five, giving reflects God in our life. Uh, look what he says in verse 14. And by their prayers for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God. Where is it found? The, the generosity of God is found in you. Thanks be to God for his, what's he call it? An unspeakable gift. You know who that unspeakable gift is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Lord Jesus Christ is the unspeakable gift that God has given to us. And His grace is found in you when you become a radical, gracious, loving, joy-filled giver. Do we want to reflect Christ in our life? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that ye through His poverty might be rich. I forgot I had a couple more pages, but we don't have time to go through all of that because... <laughs> Time is always going, isn't it? And so, aren't you thankful to be safe tonight? God has been so good to us. And so tonight, let's just, uh, you know, remind ourselves, you know, let's, 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 let's be a church of, of Macedonia. Let's reflect that spirit. Let's re reflect the spirit that it's better to give than to receive. When you're out in the community, let, let, your, let the people in your life, let them see that you're a gracious person, a giving person, a joy-filled person. Don't be that stingy person and, and, and love Christ.
Let's find ourselves early and often before him. Amen.